0: Welcome to Detoxicity. This is a podcast in which I try to change the narrative around masculinity a little bit and allow some progressive voices and some interesting voices, diverse voices, to come into the picture. My name is Mike Joseph. I host and produce this show, and I thank you very, very much for listening and for supporting from the bottom of my heart. It means a lot. Now, if you enjoy this podcast, I hope that you are subscribing to it. If you aren't, please press the subscribe button on wherever it is you're listening to it, and uh, that way you'll get episodes on demand when they come, uh, which is usually on Wednesday mornings. I also certainly ask that you uh, spread the word. Uh, Please rate the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, Make sure you leave a comment if you have something nice to say or if you have something constructive to say. It doesn't all have to be nice. And by all means, tell your friends, tell anyone who you think might get some creative juice or inspirational juice or just would uh, you'd like to listen to this, please spread the word uh, however you can. I am on social media. If you would like to follow me, I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. My Twitter is on hiatus for a little bit. It will come back, but it is TizMikeJoseph. Feel free to follow me on either of those platforms. There is also facebook.com detoxicity. And if you have a comment, you can email me detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the lookout for new guests, so if you know somebody who you think has an interesting story to tell or something to add to the overall conversation around detoxifying masculinity, please reach out to me via any of those platforms, and certainly if you yourself would like to be a part of this podcast, please reach out, let me know. Once again, I thank you for listening. traditional relationships aren't just all the rage anymore. They're normal, and they're fun and they're scary, and they're full of love and pleasure and the occasional dick joke. Hey, just like Life on the Swing Set the podcast, where we talk about all these things with an eye for the sexy, an ear for the struggling, and our fingers on the pulse of people who are just trying to do the best they can while they learn to be better partners and better people. If you want your conversations about jealousy with a side of orgies, check us out at lifeontheswingset.com or by searching for Life on the Swing Set on the podcatcher of your choice. Thanks! Come to realize over the time that this podcast has short is the fact that while some of these stories may on their face seem really similar to one another, there is so much incremental detail that's told by the people who share their stories with me that's super, super interesting. And that makes these episodes really sort of stick out as individual stories. Uh, My guest on this particular episode uh, goes by the pseudonym of Richard Gentle. Uh, He uses a pseudonym because he has a job and uh, that job is in academia and for obvious reasons, if you continue to listen to this particular episode, there are things about his life that he might not want put out there uh, to the general public. Anyway, I met Richard during uh, my trip to Mexico in November, which has definitely put me in contact with many of the recent guests on on this show. And we talk about some topics that have come up consistently over the course of those shows, uh, whether it's the topic of alternative relationships or open relationships or discovering alternative sexuality those things all get covered. We also cover body image, which again, is a topic that I think does not get discussed enough within men, but affects seemingly everybody that I speak to. Uh, we talk about one thing that's really interesting to me, which is sort of the desire to, in certain, uh, in certain environments, the desire to kind of stay within your learning and not quote unquote, get too big for your britches, uh, which uh, I think Rich learned a lot about as he decided to become an academic, particularly with regards to science. And I just think this is a really interesting story. Small town guy who is still learning about himself, still kind of discovering himself, still learning to accept himself and all of the nuances that he possesses.
1: So check this out. Well, hello everyone, not my real name for your reasons you'll soon find. I'm a 50 year old cis white guy from the Midwest. I come from Greater Red Neckia as we used to call it. And (laughs) I thought you'd like that. I come from a small town, um, about 5,000 people where I went to high school. And my version of rebellion was to go off and get a PhD and become an academic, which pretty damn conformist. Act <laughs> of rebellion, I suppose, in a way, but it kind of makes sense to me. There's a lot of trauma and stuff that happened partly because I didn't fit in with the people in my schools. And it led to a lot of issues there. Was married for about 23 years, somewhere in the middle of that discovered non-monogamy and went down that path with my ex-wife for uh, 4 or 5 years, became polyamorous. And had a divorce, and I met this lovely person, and introduced her to Polly, and here we are, five or six years later, and talking to Mike Joseph. So this is fantastic. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. So, uh,
0: redneckia, Midwest redneck, that could mean a few different things based on my fairly and admittedly limited knowledge of the Midwest. So do, do you want to pinpoint where that is, or
1: are we just leaving it vaguely Midwest? I'll say this, it doesn't touch a state that touches the ocean. So let me just kind of describe it for okay. you. Small town, it's pretty much all agriculture, little based industries. We were lucky because we lived on an interstate and another major highway. Right. So it was relatively easy to get to larger cities. And we were very lucky at the time to have pretty good schools. This would be the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. But the people, they valued higher education. They valued some of those things. But there's definitely this notion of don't get above your raisin. There's this social pressure. I can tell you that some of the things that we observe now in the political spectrum, And I don't know if we want to go there at
0: all. We can go wherever you want to go.
1: I can tell you that things like distrust of expertise and things like that, those aren't new things. They're very old. And and that's just part of the cult. Yeah, and, and pretty poor. I grew up okay. I never was hungry. You can tell because Mike has seen me. I don't look like I've ever been hungry. I'm a big big guy. I was lucky to have parents that didn't want me to work my ass off physically in the cold and for asshole bosses for minimum wage my whole life, right? So they were very supportive. I got out of there. But just to give you an idea, here I am going off to school and I wanted to do physics. And my mom just continuously said, yeah, he wants to study physics, but... I have no idea what that is, and she kind of laughed and laughs and makes fun of it. Sure, uh, right?
0: So. Something that that strikes me right away is the you saying that sort of the distrust of intelligence is something that has kind of been around certainly longer than maybe I think, and I, I wonder, as an academic, can you? Pinpoint, where do you think that even came from in these communities where people are a little reticent about people who have a level of book knowledge?
1: I can't tell you. So I'm a huge fan of country music. Having grown up in this area, they say that The music you listen to at a certain age kind of sticks with you, and I know music's a big deal for you. And so older country music, I like quite a lot. A lot of it's, of course, quite problematic for various reasons, but some of it's really not. I I will refer you, Mike, uh, to the PBS country music documentary that Ken Burns did. Okay. And I think you will find that fascinating and intriguing. And the reason I'm bringing this up because there is a whole episode called don't get above your raisin huh okay and it it sort of borders on a little bit about the sociological stuff so it, it rings true with me and it's a problem with students i work in the stem field science technology engineering mathematics and We'd really like to get these students that are in these smaller towns to come study these things, right? We, we need them and it's a challenge, right? Because often they don't even know what that means. Sure. Right. Sure. So I don't want to go down this road a lot, but I'll just throw those out there.
0: Okay, I'll do some research. How did you ultimately make the decision that you wanted to study physics? Particularly, again, going back to your background, and I'm making very wide assumptions here. As a bigger guy, there was probably pressure on you to be athletic and, you know, subscribe to a certain kind of ideal. At what point were you like, eh,
1: science? Okay, so I started out in the 70s and graduated in 90, and... I lived uh, seven miles from the town I went to school in and five miles from the nearest town, which had a population of 118.
0: There are no zeros in there? That's just 118? Yeah, 118.
1: Yeah, that was the nearest town. That's (laughs) where my mom and dad were. It had a grain elevator and a post office, and that was it. But now, these days, who knows what would have happened? We had the internet. But then what we had was, for us budding geeks, is we had the World Book Encyclopedia from 1968. And so the nearest kid growing up my age i didn't even know for a long time till i was a teen there was one that moved in near, so that it was isolating and i'm an extrovert huge extrovert and very sensitive to i've discovered later in life i just thought i was fucked up we can talk about that later yes but, but and so I got interested in space and Star Trek, the original show was a huge huge impact on me. I wanted to make all that stuff I saw in Star Trek real and I actually thought me being the naive guy from a white bread community that very non-diverse, I saw Star Trek and I thought, oh yeah, that's cool. Everybody gets along and we <laughs> all this all this racial stuff, that stuff from the 60s, right? but I saw this stuff going on there and I'm like, okay, I want to make that real, right? And I was good at school, which actually didn't help my social, my social upbringing. And so when I went off to school, I was a physics, math, and computer science major. That is uh,
0: Um, a nerd. And I ended up
1: dropping all of them at computer science.
0: Wow. Wow. We should talk about that for a second, because I think that when in looking through a 2022 lens, the rule uh, the world is ruled by technology and science. And, and you could say that people who are into those things are valued quite a bit now, whereas where you and I were kids and we're only five years apart in age and education wise, you graduated high school in 90, you said. That's right. Yeah. I graduated in 93. So we're only three years apart there. Nerds, and I, you know, I still use that term. People who were book smart and people who were scientifically motivated or technologically motivated were not valued necessarily back then. They were looked down upon. Mm -hmm. They were not cool.
1: Yep. Yeah. I, I remember about 15 i've been teaching for like almost 20 years or something and so at a university in 15 years ago or so i remember being in an event and this was an event that was a very nerdy event right i mean the people that were doing this i'm looking at them and thinking yeah one of these days you'll figure out how to you know tie your shoes or whatever I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know but here again, I'm seeing some of these guys who are very nerdy with some really beautiful, beautiful girlfriends. And I'm just this kid doesn't have game. He's not suave at all. And I mentioned to somebody and somebody said, Oh yeah, that changed. There's actually <laughs> like there, there, there's some been some changes there. I said, Oh, okay. Well, good to know. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't know. I don't know that it's about the jock anymore or the cool. Mm-hmm. I, as someone who has no idea of what it's like to be a high school student in the 21st century, I, I have no real frame of reference. But I don't mm-hmm. think it is about those. You know, the Saved by the Bell archetypes. I don't think those really exist anymore.
1: Well, that would that would be nice, but I have a feeling they'll be replaced by others. <laughs> sure, sure, uh, sure. I have a a girlfriend who does teach high school, and when she sees this podcast, I'll let you know what she says.
0: Awesome. Yes. So aside from not really being supportive of your desire to be technologically or scientifically inclined, what else about growing up where you grew up
1: do you feel was maybe a hindrance to your development? Right. Right. So this small town was very clicky with all the jocks and the cheerleaders it was stereotypical in that way. I'm six, five. I've always been fat, except for a small period of time. Always been overweight and always struggled with it. And from the time I started school, oh gosh, all the way till about 10th grade. Yeah, I was bullied a lot. And despite being literally the second tallest person in the and and biggest person in school I was chased around and knocked down and kicked and beat physically there was sort of constant harassment from that jock squad right it was that four or five six uh, just to give you an idea about a graduating class of about a hundred students so you knew everybody and people didn't want to be your friend because they didn't want to be associated with you and I was super sensitive, it hurt a lot and I kind of learned to keep my head down and, but really all I had was academics and I just kind of pushed everything into that and learned how to stay safe as best as I could, right? I'm sort of
0: projecting here. As a six foot plus like bigger guy, were you ever given the sense that somehow, people pictured you as less manly because you were sensitive or because you weren't a jock or because you got bullied or for any of those reasons?
1: A lot of the harassment, they, they targeted that specifically. Okay. I mean, they, those guys are really good at, at getting a reaction. When they get the reaction, they keep on it. And I thought I was pretty good at hiding my reactions. Well, I wasn't, <laughs> I was terrible. Terrible, terrible, but you know, I internalized a lot of that, of Sure. Course, right? And I still deal with it. I will self-worth and all these things, it, it pops up all the time. And here's a key example. Okay. So I'm going to give you a, a, a snippet. Okay. So somebody's harassed me. Here I am the biggest kid and it's these jocks who are not huge but they're very athletic and they know what to do with their bodies. And I'm all thumbs and they come around and they, (laughs) they go to do something, you know, and there are always a few of them. So it's never just one, you know, sure something will happen. And I very quickly learn that a reaction is likely to backfire because if I do anything, because I'm the bigger one, then the authorities will assume that I'm the aggressor or that I should not do that. Right. I'd grin and bear it. I take it. Okay. That fucking sucks. Right. All right. Let's go the other direction. How about the times where I actually lose my shit and I actually try to do something? when that happens, I would have these horrible. my, my shrink calls them collapses. Okay. And so if I fought back, whether it worked or whether it was good or bad, whether, whatever, Next thing I know, I'd be just absolutely almost blacked out in tears, just collapsed upon myself. So overwhelming. And to this day, if I get to the point where I am mad and I act out of madness, I will just lose my shit and... Cry all over the place. I'm much better, actually. My therapist has helped me a ton with this, right? That's that's a good thing. But that sort of thing has haunted my ability to function for, well, as long as I can remember. Right, right.
0: So it sounds like there was really not a lot of um, opportunity for you to feel like yourself and to be yourself and to feel comfortable in yourself at all when you were a kid. When did the light turn on that made you realize you had to do something about that? Because that stuff has got to eat you up. You've pretty much said as much. It it ate you up inside. When did you realize that that was something that needed to be dealt with?
1: Boy. Well, so in graduate school, I started realizing that I needed therapy, right? So this was in my mid-20s. Sure. And, you know, as a grad student, there really wasn't a lot available. And part of that was because I was not functional. I was having a lot of trouble functioning as an academic. I was really struggling. I was a lot of things that I had been doing to myself to help me get things done. Just weren't working, but I worked with somebody really good and really famous. I got a position somewhere. And once I was faculty, I I started working with some therapists, and they started helping me unwind some of this. And so that would have been about 28 or so. Okay. 28, 29. I had a lot of strange things. Like my way of thinking about, say, a deadline or something to do was that if I didn't get it done or something happened, I was in trouble. And I mean trouble as in I was going to be punished. Right. And, and, and this was all subtle stuff that I had picked up from my parents and through schools and stuff, and that's the way I had thought about it for a long time. And so I started working on some of that stuff and that was really good. It helped, but it wasn't until my oldest came out as trans and he was interviewing therapists. I'm like, that's great. We're going to find him good therapy, right? Help him make the transition. And uh, we're having an interview with one of his therapists. And uh, what, one candidate, and she insists on talking to parents and asking them a bunch of questions. And I'm there with my ex, and she says, so, can you tell me what are feelings for?
0: That's such a deep question. I, I I wouldn't know how to answer that. Like
1: uh, Yeah, and I looked at her like what the fuck <laughs> Are you kidding they just get in the way? <laughs> so she looked at me in the eyes. she's like, "Oh. I'll give you some references." Uh, like, okay she got me a therapist actually in the same building, different practice, who's done a lot of, it's called sensorimotor therapy, but a, a lot of it is simply learning what your body feels like when you're having different emotions and what it's trying to tell you. So you're starting to get mad. Your body's doing this thing. And in my case, my brain is just like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I feel funny, but whatever. It's not important, right? And then helping to deal with it when it happens.
0: I feel like in situations like that, when your brain is trying to suppress an emotion, does it maybe reflect in your body more than it would otherwise?
1: Yeah, it, it just builds and builds if you do know anything with it. I mean, she's actually really thrilled whenever she pisses me off and I can actually <laughs> express it. That's like that's like her best day.
0: I mean that I feel that is maybe a feather in her cap. She's like, Okay, oh, she's, we made a breakthrough here.
1: She's amazing, and I'm gonna send her a link to this whenever if if it goes out. So
0: it it sounds like you've made some great strides, and it also sounds like you're still trying to make some strides, which to me is admirable. One thing I I try to do a lot with this podcast in particular is remind myself and hopefully remind other people that this is a whole journey, right? We don't get to a point where we're enlightened, right? We, we got to continue the work up until the day we drop dead. It's continuing work. And it sounds like you still very much are, are putting yourself in a position where you're a work in progress.
1: Yeah, for sure. One aspect of my journey being a big guy, and I'm going to share this because I think it's important for people who struggle with their weight. And of course, I think it's a little different for, for dudes. Um, I I agree with you. For me, that was a weak point. I was harassed about it. I felt that I was just like less than because of it. And there was a time about my sophomore year at some point where I went to school and one day i think i went in early to uh register or something like that and you know, we did in the summer and the girls were being really friendly to me remember it's a small school right everybody knows everybody and it's like checking me out and i was like what the hell's wrong with her and of course that was about me then afterwards things got Things got better. So anyway, I had this situation where all of a sudden this changed and my social life improved a lot. And, And I remember thinking at the time, well, that's weird. That's really cool. Everybody grew up. These dickheads are, they're acting reasonably. I mean, there was still some stuff from the terrible three and all the jocks are mad at me because I never would play sports with those assholes. (laughs) treat me like crap my whole life and then expect me to play football with you yeah wrong i i bet
0: that they saw you and were like oh this guy would be fucking
1: perfect for for football or wrestler or whatever it is right oh yeah sure the coaches who were horrible history teachers (laughs) um they would harass me to, oh, aren't you going out for this and that? But basically what had happened was I had lost a fair bit of weight over that summer. Just didn't even know it. And so senior pictures came along and you know at the end there, I'm like, Huh, that's funny. Okay, well that that's interesting. So I get all the way out of high school. And I'm in uh, my first year of college, and I go to the health center for something. And they're like, well, you could lose a few pounds. And I was down about whatever I was in high school. And she's like, oh, that's a really good weight for you. So I had went three years, including senior pictures and all that stuff. And I was still the fat kid in my head.
0: The, the picture right? in your head and the actual image in the mirror are different.
1: Oh, yeah, really different. Really different. And, of course, now it's hard not to say, well, <laughs> I wish I was that size now, you know.
0: It's it's funny um, because I, I see you, and when I see you in my head, the thing that sticks out to me is the fact that you're tall. You're a big guy, but it fits in with your tallness. You know for, what I'm
1: saying? For the folks who can't see me, I'm 6'5", and bringing the non-monogamy part in, the funny story about that is every person I've brought into my bedroom, we could have been on a date for hours or whatever, sometimes multiple dates. And the moment they come up to me and kiss me, I just prepared because they say, damn, you're tall. I mean, you are. But I haven't got any taller at least standing (laughs) up in the last hour or whatever. But when they get really close, the perspective of their neck cranes and then all of a sudden. Yeah. So that's kind of funny.
0: Right. Because, yeah, I think even if I was standing in front of you, I, I might come up to like the middle of your chest. And, I, and even though I'm not a particularly tall person, I'm not used to that kind of size disparity. So I can see that being <coughs> a little weirding out some people.
1: Well, dating, it works to my advantage. Sure. Uh, right? I mean, most of my life it does not. Setting in, okay. buying vehicles, something as simple as buying a car, buying a chair, things like that, or an airplane ride, heaven forbid. Yeah. So, it has its downsides, right? It There's a lot of great things, but it, it's... Uh,
0: I get that. Yeah, what it is. Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at my threshold right here, coming into my living room, and I'm like, oh yeah, you'd have to duck.
1: I actually have... Uh, Pointing to the baldish spot on top of my head, there's a point, and that point is where I have uh, bumped bump on my head many, many times from hitting thresholds. A helpful hint, if you're over six foot, don't jump inside a school bus. Why would you do that? Well, everybody else was doing it. Grab the seats, and you do that thing where you lift yourself up, and the next thing you know, you're laying on your back because your head hit the... You know, sometimes you forget. These are just funny things, right? I'm right. not complaining about being tall, guys. I just think that it's...
0: Hashtag tall people problems.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: So one thing that you mentioned before going on that I always find interesting about people is that you got married really young.
1: Oh, yeah, I did. I started dating my first wife in high school and we got married at 20 or I was 20. She was a year younger Wow! and we were both academically minded. We were going to the same college and we got married at 20 while we were in undergrad and we both believed that we would not find anyone better for us i think probably because we didn't deserve it that's a hard thing to hear yeah at the time that's how i felt yeah i married the woman who took my virginity
0: <laughs> Aww, that's that's kind of adorable
1: yeah i mean
0: but the the whole self esteem thing like i honestly i look at you and you're an intelligent
1: attractive you're pretty hot, too, Mike.
0: Well, stop. I mean, and I'm not even bullshitting. Like, I, I consider you my friend. But also, yeah. again, you are smart, you are easy to talk to, and you're hot. And I would have to imagine 20-year-old you was also intelligent and kind and hot. So was it something that you were not seeing? Or I mean, I can kind of guess at things.
1: So... Yeah, I think it was partly that there hadn't just been that many girls that I'd wanted to date uh, or that I thought had a, I had a, any chance of hell at dating, right? My only source of self-esteem was my intelligence and my, you know, performance at school, right? And that's a pretty small group of smart girls, especially in a couple hundred students. And, that's your world, right? You haven't really got out to see the world. And All through my, the beginning of my first marriage, I knew there was more out there and I, I knew things were better than they could be. I remember uh, being 20, let's see, what was I? 21, 22, and I was on an internship. My wife is on an internship in like three states away. I'm on an internship away from home, right? with a bunch of other students my age really smart people right they're all like scientists and we're hanging me and another guy are hanging out in her room that night and she goes and grabs a book of tasteful nudes (laughs) because she, she went to a very uh a very liberal arts college right? And so she had posed mm-hmm. with some friends for these very t- this very tasteful photo book. I don't know why I'm showing you these. <laughs> yeah, you do. Um, of course, today I would have been like... Right. Is, is this work. our... What's, like, is I making up a signal here? Like, what's going on? You know, she is laying down the signal. Big time, right? The possibility she was laying down a signal occurred to me in the parking lot as I am walking back to my apartment. No! Right? i'm telling my wife like the next day about this this story and she's having this big jealous reaction And she was tired to sleep with you
0: you know i feel like it's really hard for stuff to sail over your head when you're six foot five but that one yeah holy moly yeah that,
1: that um and who knows right if i'd have picked up on the signal i might have cheated right I don't know what my mental state was, but I have a pretty good idea that I probably would have. And, you know, who knows? It it would have been been proud of that.
0: Right. I feel like it would have been at least a good thing for your self-esteem. I mean, I'd never advocate Mm -hmm. cheating, but certainly if you had low self-esteem at that time, for somebody to make a a, a play for you, I I think you're going to be like, oh, well, shit, somebody else actually likes me. I'm going to take advantage of this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that was a pivotal point because I'm like, I'm in this marriage where I've got this and how can I possibly have sex with other people? It's,
0: it's pretty easy and pretty logical when you think about it, but most people don't think about it. So how long was it from that incident until you were like, oh, maybe this non-monogamy thing has validity. Maybe it has value.
1: Let's see, that was 94. Okay. So what happened around 1994, right? Well, that was the dawning of the web, right? And yeah. believe it or not, people, there was porn on the internet before the World Wide web, before you had a web browser, you could find it if you knew what you were doing and it was totally doable. So, sometime in grad school, so it was 96, 97, you know, marriage is kind of not sexless, but we, we're having trouble meeting up. And there were the beginning of amateur sites that actually were talking. There, there were swinger couples back in the mid 90s who were recording encounters and using them to run uh, adult websites. And I became quite the aficionado. So I was really into this idea. Oh, yeah, hey, look, this is something couples do together. Did not think that was going to be an option, <laughs> but did kind of very slowly over time like, gosh, 10 years. And, you know, found out my ex had some interest that she was by, and there was some dirty talk and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, took her to some strip clubs. And one night we were at a strip club and I went to the restroom. One of the strippers came up and she said, So I really want to just do I think she said assault or something, but she didn't mean it. Let me like, molest, you know, <laughs> rest, you know, right. But your wife, would that upset you? I'm like, What? No. no <laughs> knock your yourself way. out. Uh, yeah. Knock yourself out. Like she like mm-hmm. double checked. The next thing you know, like five private dances later with them. And then we talk about it afterwards. And then there was another event that happened in our hot tub too. We're on the swing sites and we were kind of fresh meat. We were in our thirties at the time. And so we were kind of fresh meat and we're very slutty swingers.
0: (laughs) So was there ever a conversation with your wife? Like, Hey, we should do this. Or did you just both kind of jump in with both
1: feet? Well, after those toes got dipped in, we then I said, well, that was a lot of fun. Are there ways we can do it? We did have a conversation about that. And that sort of led to, yeah, there's these websites and we can get on them and you know, see what happens. And I think both of us kind of thought, well, yeah, nothing's going to happen from that. Little did um, you know. Yeah, little do we know. Yeah, little <laughs> did we know. Yeah, we had small kids, and so we could send them away for a couple of weeks in the summer to our to our families. And sure, and yeah, I think we had four couple dates in four days once: Friday, wow. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I remember us saying something like, "Well, there's no way we'll have sex with all of them." Yeah, we did.
0: And yeah, and then you slept yeah. Tuesday and Wednesday.
1: Well, that's uh, on the Tuesday is when we learned what drop for like a BDSM <laughs> drop. We, yes. we learned what that meant, right? We had no good brain chemicals left in our systems whatsoever. That's uh, a lot of work. Oh yeah, especially I was young. <laughs> I <didn't> put <laughs> a lot of effort. I put a lot hey, of there work. You it there you go. There you go. Right. Yeah. But anyway, the story sort of continues that we met a local couple who were geeky and we just ended up spending a ton of time. And he sort of said, I love you first. And then it, I, I sort of fell a later. I was the last domino to fall there. And so we spent a lot of time together. We would swap, would sort of swap houses for a weekend. So the kids knew stuff was going on, right? And I had to have that talk with them.
0: And when you have kids and you are polyamorous and or swingers, because they're not mutually exclusive, but they're not mutually inclusive either. What does that conversation look like?
1: Well, for better or worse, we kind of let the kids sort of pick up on some of the clues. It's not like we were making out in front of them or anything, but I'd be sitting with her, her, mom would be sitting with him and whatever. The oldest picked up pretty quick. And, you know, I took them out to a restaurant or something and talked about it. And I said, yeah, look, this is what we're doing and everybody knows. And does this make you feel uncomfortable? If it does, that's fine. We don't have to show affection in front of you. Right. Over you can be over, more discreet right? about it. And that was all good. My younger one, who was just a little less perceptive about such things, Figured it out on a group trip, and he figured out that I was sleeping in the wrong bedroom. <laughs> not my shining moment. Right. So so then we had a little talk about it. and Oh, okay.
0: And it seems like everybody's cool with it. Were there any big roadblocks that uh, presented themselves? Or was everybody just like, okay, this is what's happening because you normalized it for them?
1: Right. Yeah. The kids, I think, took it very normally. The kids actually still see them sometimes. My ex is now friendly with them. The woman in the quad, this was not an exclusive arrangement. We had sex with other people. And I had another girlfriend, and she became quite jealous and controlling of this other person. It just got, you know, argument, 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 and I said, well, you know, do you just want to be friends? Because this is not working out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was not the right question. And she has spoken about 10 words to me in the last five, six years.
0: Well, I mean, it was the right question for you to ask. It just wasn't what she wanted to hear.
1: Yeah. No, this this is true. All <clears>
0: right. <throat> I, I got to ask. What has all of this done for your personal self-esteem and also for your body image?
1: Well, it it sure as hell helped both of those. Um, Although I can still fall pretty quickly in terms of self-esteem, just in general. This last fall, I probably had 10 different things get canceled for various reasons due to sickness or COVID or storms or family sicknesses on their part and that sort of thing. And uh, these are people that I'm, you know, pretty sure like me you know, <laughs> for the most part. And boy, that's hard fighting that feeling. Cause and, it's know,
0: not it's that you. Thing. Right. and i feel like objectively you're aware that it's not
1: you but
0: old habits die hard
1: oh yeah those grooves in your brain that you've worn they're still there right they're easy right. for you to fall down those grooves for sure it makes a big difference i can tell you it has led to some different challenges one of the paragraphs in my user manual <laughs> right that i have to give to partners And I had to give this to a partner not too long ago, because things were getting a little more uh, intimate. I said, okay, if you're upset, or if something changes, I will assume that I did something wrong, and I am in trouble. My system is going to say that, and here's what I need. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I may not be able to ask because I can't stand the idea of the the. Resp- I should know because if people are pissed. They usually come out and say it Yeah. eventually. Right. I said, but I may just need to hear, Hey, it's not something you did. It's just the situation. It's something else. You know, <laughs> I got a migraine coming on and you're reading it as whatever. Right. Sure. So that's one of those things. You take that concept. Now apply it when you have multiple partners with potentially multiple poles on your time, even without this particular piece of baggage, it's easy to feel that, how am I managing time with this person and not upsetting the other partner and vice vice versa, and uh, I'm lucky that my nesting partner and wife is just fantastic, that she's very giving, now, if I had seen somebody five times that week already she probably wouldn't be that giving (laughs) (laughs) right but fair but my relationships don't usually work like that I usually see people like at best weekly you know there's only so many hours in the week but yeah she's very giving and very accommodating to help organize when I can make time but still those are easy things for me to trip on right
0: And are you comfortable in your own body at this point? Which to me feels like a dumb question to ask you because I spent a week with you and you were pretty much butt naked the whole time. But how do you feel as someone who certainly did not have a lot of positivity in their own body
1: growing up? Well, Mike, where we were, I I had no problem whatsoever. (laughs) When you're on that trip with the swing set crew, it's such a safe and awesome environment. I had no problems there. I would say I'm much better. I, we go to, we have a nude resort we go to here. It's a, it also is in even greater Redneckia than where I grew up. (laughs) That's interesting. I do really well. It's much better. I do have those twinges of, oh yeah, I don't want to show myself. Here, I'll give you an example, and you decide whether this is too graphic for this podcast, okay? There's no
0: such thing as too graphic. So, okay,
1: (laughs) I have a very old, very sexy friend who held swinging house parties, right? So everybody comes to meet people and potentially have sex, and they always have these icebreaker games, right? One of her favorite icebreaker games was called Guess the Blower. So you take four or five guys, you stand them up on the top of the steps, you put blindfolds on them, have them drop trow, and then have five different women, since this is heteronormative for sure, randomly perform oral sex. And then they would reshuffle and then you have to guess who is on you.
0: And you have no context clues that like you can't touch the back of the head or...
1: I found that very intimidating. I'm like, you want me to stand up there blindfolded and have an erection? And I can't do that. But I think that's kind of varsity level, right?
0: That is varsity um, level. I think more in terms of like, when you go to the gym and they're these old dudes walking around the locker room making and they have balls that go down to their kneecaps. And it's kind of like, they're whatever, this is my body, I don't care. And I
1: want that kind of confidence. Yeah, I do okay there. I do compared to high school gym or or middle school gym. There was, I mean, no way. I I, I don't know about you, but we had the prison shower with the five shower heads on one central column. So if you had to take a shower and you had to take a shower every time, so you were standing there staring the other dude in the eyes. I I did not
0: have that experience.
1: so That was our standard. And if you didn't do it, you lost credit for the day. And and to top it off, I'm a grower, definitely not a shower. And that was just horrible. You know, very, yeah, very bad.
0: (laughs) I could see that being damaging. For me as a kid, even the thought of that, there was no way. Just changing in the locker room made me
1: super anxious. We had seven minutes to change. And I almost couldn't do that, let alone take a shower for some reason. Right. You yeah.
0: know, and I yeah. remember the one time I dealt with the shower situation is we had a swim class. And then obviously after you're doused in chlorine for 45 minutes, you want to take a shower. And I would take a shower with my trunks on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I yeah, I, I couldn't have done that in school now the one other thing that i I wanted to talk about we can go wherever you want with this is you've been doing some exploration and i'm Mm -hmm. just kind of curious what that means to you well
1: yeah lots of different kinds of exploration the last few years and there's at least two cans of worms to open here Mm -hmm. part of that has been getting more able to get in touch with some of my feelings thanks to the the first that i started i i've been a kinkster for a long time and i've been a dominant in fact the first time i was a dominant to someone seriously i had a physical reaction that was overpowering and positive so powerful that it felt like i had a jiffy pop popcorn pan in my chest and that my chest was splitting open with the popcorn coming out of it when i came
0: holy shit okay
1: and I've been a dominant and I've done stuff along those lines. So that was obviously super powerful. Over time, though, I've become more of a switch. So I've also played the submissive role for some people. I had a boy, this is confusing. I had a mama dom for a while. <laughs> okay. Who was more gender queer, gender fluid. Sure. Right, assigned female at birth. And that was fascinating, letting me dig into that and become more passive and let somebody guide things. And I really enjoy both sides of it now. None of it is as powerful as that Jiffy Pop
0: moment. Before you go into the next part, I would have to imagine a lot of people get some kind of reaction to doming somebody your size.
1: Well, it's kind of hard to find their yeah and I don't present right as someone who looks like they'd be dommed right, so yeah, it's been hard to find people that are really interested in doing that so i'm I'm still sort of new on that. The other thing which you know is that i've sort of st- I'm been stepping my toe into my bisexuality, right, and it's that's been an interesting. Thing. I think I'm really learning. You know, I've said for a long time that I wish I was bisexual, like fully quote unquote, <laughs> fully bisexual. So what I'm what I'm sort of discovering is that right now I'm becoming more bisexual. The bi romantic side, the notion of being romantic with Someone that was really, really masculine is terrifying. And I don't mean that by looks. I just mean the thought of that toxic masculinity just makes everything in me want to run away. Right? And to the point where I say, I've got lots of close friends who are women. And I've got guys who are friends for me to open up to, it has to be someone who's very non-toxic like you, Mike. And, and it's part of that trauma we talked about. And so there's this sort of slow discovery of where am I going to sit?
0: That's not something that has to be decided with a fine point. We're evolving mm. beings, right? You can be wherever you want to be or as comfortable as you want to be with whoever you want to be. It's interesting to me that you're not the first person who has expressed more ease with the sexual part of bisexuality than the romantic part of the bisexuality. Like there are a lot of guys out there, and this has been my experience, who will blow you or they'll get blown by you or they'll do whatever. But when it comes to the kissing and the cuddling and kind of the pillow talk and the male bonding kind of stuff, it makes them uncomfortable. Even if that's something that they may want, it's a hump, bad pun, It, it that mm-hmm. takes some time to get over. And I wonder why it is that way for so many people.
1: Yeah, I don't have a sociological reason, but I can tell you that I have this image. When I think of it, the whole masculinity, if I think of toxic masculinity, I see this group of jocks in high school, or in, in elementary, who I want nothing to do with, and I get it. the psychological scars that came with it. Right, part of this journey is being able to be closer to my male friends, too. But we don't share as many things often. They want to watch sports, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> we can watch cycling. I don't mind watching cycling, right? But that's not a go a beat up. Somebody, you know, football? No, I don't right. want to see it. Right. I can watch it after about three or four drinks. My darling wife was a wrestler in high school. Mike hasn't seen her wrestle, but he's seen her box. Sorry. But <laughs> she's a wrestler in high school. God. And it, it was, it's quite a thing. She loves wrestling. In fact, she has a season ticket for the local wow. university wrestling. And she took me once. And I was sitting there on edge, trying not to have a panic attack. Did, She's like, you're not having any fun. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm right. not having any fun. Yeah, it's triggering. Yeah,
0: I was going to ask, did the memories of the wrestling shots oh, just start cycling back in your head?
1: Yeah, it just felt shitty. Yeah.
0: I wonder what it would take to take those associations and replace them with positive ones.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's not, these things aren't particularly important to me. You know, my friends like to go watch sports. I'll go watch sports with them and I'll put my back to the TV so I can talk to them. Right. They want to go to the football game. I'll go tailgate and have a fantastic time. You know, I love to party. <laughs> you know, and they all assume I don't know anything about it. Well, my dad was big into football. I do know the, Basic elements of football. I watched a bunch of it and it used to ask questions and stuff. But that's just what it is.
0: It's yeah, it's not your thing, and that's totally fine. I mean, I was thinking more of like what would it take for you to get over the hump in terms of hitting your comfort zone in terms of being closer to mm-hmm. your male friends or guys in general.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think it's a journey, just like all these other things, right? It's been a huge change. I'll tell you when I went to college and uh, of course I was in an honors program and roomed with a bunch of really geeky dudes and they're still good buddies. One of them officiated at our wedding. Oh, that's awesome. This, this, but here again, they're interested in that stuff but I'm not. And I I, I think for me, I'm very sapiosexual, I'm very sapio-friendly. Right, And unfortunately, a lot of the people I work with, which are very smart people, don't like to have a good time.
0: I'm amazed by the fact that anybody doesn't like to have a good time. Or, you know, I, people's definitions of good time differ.
1: Right, right. yeah. They, they just don't match mine, is what right. I mean. Right,
0: right. Yeah. And there's also some people who have the, the super introvert... I, I don't even know if it's like introversion so much as it's like I'm afraid to have a good time because I'll come out of myself and present, Mm -hmm. what am I trying to say? Present an image of myself that I don't want other people to see.
1: Yeah. That's entirely possible. But it is true that when I started into academia, one of the advisors came to me and said, by the way, you don't fit the psych profile of faculty around here. You know, and I said, oh yeah, he's just to begin with, you're an extrovert. And, and then I, we had a lot of those discussions way back. So yeah, there, there's a lot of introversion and it makes sense. These people are really devoted to discovering new things. And while they certainly get off on the getting external recognition for it, it's a very introverted passion for most of them right right it consumes them inwardly and it's a good thing (laughs) in a lot of ways right Mm -hmm. because they do amazing things and create new things for sure but uh, yeah being the extrovert in that group that's kind (laughs) of weird I, i
0: i love that you are unapologetically you and you are doing so much work on yourself from where you come from to now it just seems like you've really kind of invested the time and the energy into making yourself better and, and, and acknowledging and, and owning your evolution, which I think is fantastic. I wish more people did it.
1: Well, I, I, I kind of felt like, I, I guess when I started really into therapy and getting some real guided self-discovery, I could tell that if I kept doing the things the way I was doing, it was going to be horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, bad things were going to happen. Bad things were happening. And, and what I mean by that was in order to get work done, I was having to call myself all sorts of terrible things in my head. Just a lot of behaviors that had worked. I had a lot of behaviors that had worked really well, got me a PhD from a really darn good university from a really darn famous guy right and a job at a really good one too but if i kept using the same techniques i was going to uh, I, I i just was going to burn myself out and i don't know i, I was going to lose everything because mm. I, I just could not keep doing it there was too much mental anguish. And so that's, that's why I started therapy. I'm glad that you did.
0: Thank you, Rich, for sharing your story with me. And I wish you continued learning, continued evolution, and uh, all of the best. And I don't have any contact information for him since he's u- using a pseudonym. But I will say that he brings up some very, very valid points regarding therapy. I uh, conducted a poll on Twitter recently where I asked if people were seeking therapy or had access to therapy, and about 40% of the people that responded said that they currently have a therapist, but a larger percentage said that they either had limited access to a therapist or were afraid to go see a therapist. Now, the fear is something that you can conquer, right? You can click a mouse, dial a number, and just do it. Life is short, I remind people of that often, and it's really important, I think, that you live your best self while you were here on earth in your limited time. So if you need to get over that hump, just get over the hump. Make the phone call. Again, click on the mouse. You won't regret that you did it. If resources are your issue, if resources is your issue, I don't know if it's is or are. I, it's, I was not a bad English student. Anyway, if you have an issue with resources, uh, there are plenty of places to go. You can, If you have health insurance, go to your insurance carrier's website. And they can give you a listing of uh, psychiatrists or therapists that take your insurance. You can go to psychologytoday.com. There is the ZocDoc app in which you can find people in your area. There are tons of resources more than ever before. And uh, if you have listened to previous episodes with uh, Dr. Ali or Dr. Block or any of the mental health professionals that uh, I've had on the show previously, find their socials and hit them up and maybe you can find resources that way as well. I wish you Thanks all the best. Thanks for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Once again, if you want to find me online, hit me up on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm on Twitter intermittently at TizMikeJoseph. You can go to Facebook.com Detoxicity. You can email me detoxpod at gmail.com love to hear constructive criticism love to hear feedback would love if you are a potential guest or you know somebody who you think would be a potential guest please by all means reach out to me and remember if you enjoy this podcast subscribe rate comment do all of the things necessary to push this podcast up in the podcast rankings and get this into as many ears as possible tell a friend do whatever it is you need to do and uh, thank you once again for listening. I personally want to thank the following people for their support I'm Calvin Williams and Jacob Block, Jeff Giles and Andrew Grossman. Thank you very much. I hope all of you stay well, stay safe, and healthy. Until next time.